So I am excited about what we're starting to dig into today. We're in the middle of our series walking through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which was an important group of teachings from Jesus about what life in his kingdom should be like. Uh, we're calling these groups of teachings Jesus' Donkey Kingdom Manifesto. Uh, because it's our donkey messiah, our king who rode into town on a donkey telling us about the upside down nature of his kingdom. The things that are important, uh, the things he values, and what life should look like in his kingdom. And today we're getting into a certain section of the manifesto. And we're going to spend some time here. We're going to camp out here in these few verses. We're going to kind of do a series within a series uh, for the next uh, little bit here. And so the topic that we're getting into today reminds me a little bit of back when I was in college. I actually also went to uh, Messiah College uh, that Alyssa went to a few years earlier. Getting <laughs> <clears throat> hot up here? I don't know. I was a part of a number of touring singing groups. Uh, back at uh, Messiah. We'd go all around the country. We had great experiences, uh, a lot of tours and stuff. And one ensemble, one choir that I was a part of in college was called the Messiah Singers, which is a really impressive name. It's really original. I, I, didn't, I wasn't responsible for that. But I did that group for one year. It was awesome. We had our big end-of-the-year tour, uh, and I had a blast with that. It was, it was so much fun. But due to my schedule being different the next year, I couldn't do that group uh, a second year. But at the end of that next year, the singers had their, again, their big end-of-the-year tour, and some of the guys in the group couldn't make it for whatever reason. So they needed a tenor. So the, the uh, director asked me if I could do it, kind of last minute. Uh, so I agreed, and I grabbed the sheet music, and I tried to cram and learn all the music before the tour. And then at our first concert, we're doing the show, and I'm, I'm doing just fine, right? I've got the music in my folder, singing along with everyone else, um, doing all right. I'm, I'm keeping up with everybody. Uh, and we get to the end. We get to the final number. Uh, but I had already sung all of the songs in my folder. And so everyone takes their folders, and they set them down at their sides like this. And then they gather, they, they encircle the audience. They come down off the stage, and everyone just kind of goes around and still with their folders at their sides, getting ready to sing a song from memory. And exactly what song they were about to sing, I had no idea. <laughs> but I put my folder at my side, just like everyone else, nice confident smile, presence, and waited to see just how much of an idiot I would look like. <laughs> And there would be no hiding, right? If you're up on, on, as a part of a choir and a song you don't know, you can just kind of mouth the word watermelon over and over again, and no one will know that you're not sing, sing, actually singing the word. But when you're encircling a, 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 an audience, there's a group of people right here waiting to hear just you. <laughs> so I was terrified, but I was doing my best to try to hide it. The director raises his arms, he prepares to sing, and we start singing. And fortunately, about two words into it, I recognized it. It was the song that we had sang the previous year with the group, and so I knew it. So I missed the first couple of words, but I, I went through it. Told, I told the director about it later, where he was a friend of mine. I told him after the concert, and he laughed in my face. He thought it was hilarious, but I was about to pee my pants. <laughs> but have you ever been in a group of people, maybe, maybe at a church, uh, maybe at a live musical performance, a concert, or a show, 
And everyone seems to know the right words to say or words to sing, sing at the right moments, except for you. Right? It gets a little awkward. Right? It kind of puts the pressure on you a little bit. Well, the section of, uh, that, of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that we're talking through over the next several weeks is a lot like that. Because there, this is a part of the Bible that a lot of Christians just kind of know by heart. And they can recite it at any time. But if you don't know it, it can maybe feel a little intimidating. I'm talking about the Lord's Prayer. Now this is a, a model, a template that Jesus gave his followers when they asked him how to pray. Uh, last week we saw that uh, Jesus has just warned everyone about praying really long, flowery prayers, uh, using big words and making a big show of how, to, how, you know, how spiritual you are when you pray. He's like, yo, people that pray that way, they don't want approval from God. They want approval from people. They're trying to impress the people who are hearing them pray instead of going to God honestly and sincerely. And we said last week that our acts for God should spring from our love for God. So instead of just giving us a little teaching about what not to do in prayer, Jesus also gives us an example of what to do. He gives us a short, simple, uncomplicated prayer that gets to the heart of the person while giving glory to God. One thing to note about this prayer is that Jesus starts off in Matthew 6, verse 9, by saying, this then is how you should pray. Uh, the original Greek phrase, huto uh, or hutos, uh, that we've translated as how, uh, means after this manner, or in this manner, or likewise. Uh, so when Jesus says, this is how you should pray, he isn't saying, this is what you should pray. He's not giving them a verbatim script to follow that says, whenever you pray, you got to use these words. Right? Instead, he's just giving them a template, a structure that shows the kinds of things you should pray for, like the kinds of things that should be important for you and the humility and heart that goes along with acceptable prayer. These are the kinds of prayers that donkey kingdom citizens will pray. Uh, not that it's wrong to use this prayer verbatim. In fact, it's a fine prayer to pray verbatim. I, I pray this prayer quite frequently, in fact. Uh, it's just that originally the point of it was more as a template, uh, not a script. So with that background, let's get into the Lord's Prayer. We're reading in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father. Okay, so let's unpack this. It, we're uh, kind of getting into the minutiae here a little bit. <laughs> How we approach God in prayer will largely depend on how we view him. Can I say that again? It's an important point. How we approach God in prayer will largely depend on how we view him. So this week and next week, we're going to talk about the posture that this prayer sets up for us. Uh, the view that we are to have of God when we go to him in prayer. Because think about it. How you approach somebody depends largely on how you view them. Right? How you interact with a police officer is not how you would interact with your child. Ideally. <laughs> The way you engage with your boss at work is not the way that you would engage with your best friend. 
Typically, the less we know a person, the more formal we tend to try to be. Right? And we can, see, uh, we can see this when we interact with God sometimes, too. Right? Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes the more formal we try to be, the bigger words we use, the longer we pray, it's because we have a head knowledge of God, but not a heart relationship with God. Now, this week, uh, next week, I should say, next week we are going to see the flip side of this. Uh, this week we're talking about our Father. Next week we're talking about in heaven. Okay, his, his fatherness and his sovereignty. We need both. So we need to understand both of these positions and frameworks for God. And that's what these first words of the Lord's Prayer set up for us. The first word here is our. Right, going one word at a time. <laughs> but it's important to think about. He is our Father. God is God, no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, no matter whether someone acknowledges him as God or not. It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change the fact that God is, is God. But to be Father, this our implies that he is father to those who call on him, to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. That's who are God's children and who can then call him father. Now, in a sense, he's kind of a father to everyone in, in one sense, to, to all people on earth because we've been made in his image. But you can't enjoy the presence of a father if you don't know him. You can't know the closeness of a father if you haven't acknowledged him as such. So there's a special presence, a special intimacy for those who have come to him, acknowledged him as their father, and have put their lives and their trust in him. This cord in the back keeps falling down, like tightening, tightening my neck here. Sorry about that. And we are his blood relatives. Right? We are related by blood, through the blood of Jesus, on our behalf. Our standing as children of God isn't because of our virtue, because of our merit, because we earned it. It's because of our blood, which when we put our trust in Jesus, is actually the blood of Jesus, given in our stead on the cross. God is God for everyone all the time, whether they acknowledge him or not. But he is father to those who follow him with their lives. Which then brings us to the second word here, father. Uh, the term used here is Abba, which some of you may have heard that term before. Uh, this doesn't mean a 70s pop group from Sweden. It means a warm, fatherly, intimate association. Right? It's close. It's heart to heart. Uh, it's like our term daddy, but it's, it's deeper than that. Right? It's the difference between like when I yell up the stairs, hey kids, time for dinner, and they yell down, okay daddy. They're getting older, so they don't say daddy as much. Versus when they get hurt and they crawl into my lap, and I say I love you, and while they're snuggled up in my arms, and they say I love you too, daddy. That's Abba. Not that I'm equating myself with Abba the way God is, but you get the idea. This is an intimate 
uh, relationship that we're talking about. God is not some aloof, far off, uh, set the world spinning and then watch it from a distance kind of God. He is close. He's with us. And some of us, some of us had great fathers. But some of us had fathers we'd probably rather forget. Others of us might have fathers that we never really knew. So it can be hard sometimes for some of us to think about God as father. It's not a helpful word picture here. But we know that down here all fathers are not created equal. (laughs) So we need to understand that no matter whether your father was awesome or a bum, God isn't like that. All right? If your earthly father was garbage, God isn't like that. If your earthly father was dad of the year material, God also isn't like that. He's so much beyond that. He's with my kids in ways that I could never be. He sees in their hearts and he knows what's going on. He hears their whispers in bed at night when they're scared or when they're sad about something. He is with them and knows them better than I will ever be able to be. Now some of you might be thinking, yeah, Ryan, that that sounds really good, but he sure seems distant sometimes. Aren't there times when we we cry out to God and we're just greeted with this cosmic indifference or silence Sounds more like an absentee father to me. And and I have to say, those are are tough questions. And they're legitimate. There are times that cause us pain. Sometimes maybe it's like a natural disaster. We wonder, where were you, God? The the train accident in India. I mean, like, where were you, God? Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Sometimes a death will touch us and we're left crying to what feels like unfeeling ceiling tile. Wondering, why weren't you there? This is what uh, Mary and Martha in the Bible felt when their brother Lazarus died. Uh, these, These were really close friends of the physical Jesus when he was walking the earth. And yet Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, still died. Jesus shows up then and they're like, where were you? Things could have been different if you were here. And it's tough for them because they believe in Jesus. They believe he had the power to keep his brother from dying. Their faith wasn't in question. They were just angry and sad. They had faith in him. He just, he just wasn't there. And we're tempted to think that sometimes too, aren't we? God, if you were only here, things could have been different. This never would have happened if only you were here. Times like these, we have to acknowledge that there's a mystery to God's presence. 
his with usness doesn't somehow change when things are going well versus when they're not. Our feelings have changed, that's for sure. But he hasn't, his nature hasn't changed. And sometimes we just need to lean on truth and the witness of others who have gone before us through the valley of the shadow of death. Because there have been many. Many who have walked the path of life and it has led them right through that valley. Sometimes they even had to camp there for a while. But they had the presence of God. The God who was with them and they can testify to his presence even when we can't feel it. Back a few years ago when we were living in New Jersey, we discovered that we had a problem with yellow jackets in our backyard. We ended up finding and spraying three nests in two weeks. Um, we found the first one because our kids got stung. That was a, that's a fun way to find them. Uh, when Caden got it, he got four right around his, his right ankle, and he comes running, screaming into the house with the yellow jacket still on his leg, stinging it. So I had to, like swipe it off, and then it's flying angry in our house while Caden's screaming on the floor. I'm trying to get ice, trying to kill this yellow jacket before Bradley and Isla go screaming out the other side of the house to get away from the yellow jacket. It was a little chaotic. We, we eventually, I, I got him, uh, and then uh, had to, you know, help Caden with his stings. And then later in that same afternoon, Isla got one in her arm. She comes running in, we get some ice, we get some ointment that we already had out because of Caden. And we put it on her stings there. And I just held her while she cried. Just crying. I think Andrea did too. The fact that mommy and daddy were there didn't stop the stings. My kids can tell you it hurt. They weren't happy about it, but it did happen. And while as earthly parents, Andrea and I weren't able to stop the stings from happening, our kids could run to us. We can touch the stings and make them feel better with ice and ointment. And we can hold them and give them comfort until they stop crying. We are there for them. We can help them to learn about the nests and how to not get stung in the future. In this world, we are going to get stung. Sometimes it's going to feel debilitating. Sometimes the hurt will stick around for a bit. But our Father is with us. And while He can prevent stings, He knows that sometimes what we really need is the strong arms of God holding us while we cry. Telling us, listen, my child, I know it hurts. I've been there. I have felt those stings too. But I have taken the ultimate hurt, the ultimate pain, the sting of death and sin. And I have taken one, that one myself so that you don't have to. Because if you did, it would utterly destroy you. But I've taken that for you. 
So I will hold you while you cry. I will wipe every tear from your eyes. Soon there will be no more death, no mourning or crying. Soon there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. And you will be with me the way that I am with you now. Theologian C.S. Lewis, in one of his letter exchanges with a woman named Mary Van Dusen, uh, talked about why God would want us. Um, Mary wondered in her letter to C.S. Lewis, for what God would want her. And Lewis responds with this. He says, you ask for what God wants you. Isn't the primary answer that he wants you? He says, we're not told that the lost sheep was sought out for anything except itself. Of course, he may have a special job for you, he says. And the certain job is that of becoming more and more his. Now, when we put our lives, our trust in Jesus, we are his children. We are his family. So in a sense, we will never be more and more his, just like my children will never be more and more mine. But we can lean more and more into that truth of who we are, leaning more and more into his arms in times of heartache and pain in times when we need a perfect father for an imperfect world. Because that's what he is. He is our perfect father for an imperfect world. Sin has broken this world, but it will not always be this way. One day, every tongue will confess he is Lord, and every knee will bow before him and all the bad things will be done away with and God's creation will be made new and we will live with him in glory. But until that time, and even after that time, we need this Father. This close and with us Father. And he freely gives of himself to be that for us. Where do you need a father today? Where does your imperfect life need the presence of a perfect father? Let's go to him now. And let's pray these words together. The words will be on the screen. You won't have to do it from memory. Let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for being our perfect Father in this imperfect world. Father, wherever we have had uh, a father with failings, Lord, as I am, I am a father with failings. I am an imperfect father in this imperfect world. But God, where that has been the model for us, where we have had wonderful fathers, whatever, whatever paradigm we're coming at you from, whatever our background is, show us, Lord, that you are not like that. You are beyond that. You are perfect. Your love is perfect. Your presence is perfect. Your power is perfect. Your, your, your comfort is perfect. Father, wherever we need that touch in our lives, be that for us. In my own life, show me your presence. And as we leave here, may we leave knowing that we have a Father who loves us perfectly. And while we may feel stings, you allow us to crawl into your lap, call you Abba, and you hold us while we cry. Thank you for taking the ultimate sting of death. In Jesus' name, amen.